0: Uh, so grab a Bible and you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Um, we're just continuing on in our study. We're going to be looking at verses 19 to 23 this morning, just four short verses. Um, over the years of being a Christian and being a pastor, I've had lots of opportunities to go on different types of missions trips, and I know probably lots of you here have as well. Um, I have been to Mexico a bunch of times um, as a teen and then as actually leading as a, the youth pastor. And it was interesting that uh, as we began to like plan to go down to Mexico, uh, we were told by uh, a missionary who lived there, um, here's some like dress code things that I should just warn you about. Um, you know, you, you, you can't wear um, t-shirts with any graphics on it because in different parts and in different cultures, that's just kind of considered really you know, offensive and rude to have, especially in the church, in the, in the Mexican church, don't go up and we're going to lead worship and I have, you know, the Superman logo or whatever. So we had to tell all of our teens, hey, make sure you just buy some just uh, plain t-shirts. And a lot of them were like, what? Why? Why do I have to do that? And we just said, yeah, it's just the culture. We just don't want to be offensive when we go down. So just wear, you know, what they asked us to wear. Um, five years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Zambia And uh, we were kind of told, um, grown men in Zambia don't wear shorts. It's just kind of seen as, what, are you an eight-year-old boy? Why are you wearing shorts? Um, The saying is actually, uh, in Zambia was, a gentleman knows no weather. (laughs) Which basically means, like, wear your three-piece suit even when it's 40 degrees outside. And like, I don't know if you know, Africa's hot. And so it was like, okay, uh, I'll just buy some, like, thin pants, and I'll wear pants when we're in the middle of Africa, because it was just kind of like, it's, it's offensive to them. They, they won't take you seriously. But, you know, as a North American, it was just kind of like, why do I have to do this? Why do I have to um, kind of put myself in, in their cultural box in order not to be offensive? Like, why, why should we do those things? Um... Hopefully you know kind of know where I'm getting at because Paul for the last couple of weeks as we've been studying he's been talking about us as followers of Jesus laying aside our preferences and rights for the sake of other people. Even last week Paul he goes through in chapter 9, okay, here's all the reasons that I have rights as an apostle, rights to a paycheck rights for the church to pay my, my salary and pay my food and drink. And then Paul says, I actually don't, I don't take advantage of any of those rights because I don't want to put a, a stumbling block in front of people hearing the gospel. Now, in verses 19 to 23, Paul kind of expands on that, but he, he gives us his strategy for evangelism, for sharing the gospel with non believers and what we're going to read is Paul did a lot uh, into a much greater degree a lot of what I had to do right I got to wear pants now which is so so trivial but what Paul says is hey I'm going to become all things to all people in the hopes that I can win some of them so here's what I want to do just as a road map of where we're going I want to walk through verses 19 to 23 Um, give two biblical examples of what does it look like to remove barriers so that people can hear the gospel, two historical examples of how the, the church has done that in history, and then to end with, well, what does that mean for you and I today? Okay, so verse 19, this is what Paul says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. So remember, what has Paul just said? Like he has all of these freedoms and rights, right? Paul says, I am free from everybody. I don't, I'm, I'm free. I don't have to worry about what other people think. And, and we would go, yes, amen, right? Freedom is a super hot topic in our day and age, is it not? I am free to do whatever I want. Paul says, yeah, I'm free from everybody. But look at what he says. I've made myself a servant or a slave is the literal word. I've made myself a slave to all well, why, Paul, that I might win more of them? Isn't that interesting? Paul says, man, I have, I have freedom from all of you, and yet I'm willingly making myself a servant to all of you in the hopes that I can, I can win more people to Jesus. He continues in verse 20, to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. So, Paul gives uh, four different types of examples of how he contextualizes the gospel in order to win people. So, first he says, Well, to the Jews I became as a Jew. And we should all go, Well, Paul, you're already a Jew. You are a Jew. So what what does Paul mean by that? Uh, In order to win Jewish people to Jesus, he became like a Jew. I, I think, and most scholars think, that when Paul was with Jews, he did culturally Jewish things. Um, there's some evidence in the Bible, in Acts chapter 18, it says that Paul then moves on with Priscilla and Aquila to a different uh, city as, on a missionary journey, and then it says, and there he cut his hair because he had made a vow. And you go, well, what is that about? Well, uh, in the Jewish culture, you, uh, a man could make a Nazarite vow and go for a certain period of time not uh, cutting his hair at all, and it seems that Paul seemed to have, have done that at some point. And Paul's the first person who would say, I'm free from that. I don't have to do this Nazarite vow thing anymore. Jesus has freed me, and yet he did it. And you go, well, that's interesting. In Acts 20, verse 6, it says this, speaking of Paul and his traveling companions, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. So there seems to be indication that Paul celebrated the Passover in Philippi. Uh, That's the unleavened bread, the Passover. And yet Paul would be the first to say, well, as a Jewish person who's a follower of Jesus, I don't have to celebrate Passover anymore. And so what Paul is getting at when he says, well, to Jewish people, I became like a Jew in order to win Jews, was was that when he was with Jewish people and they said, hey, we're not gonna eat pork, he would go, okay, fine, I won't eat pork. Uh, You wanna celebrate Passover? Fine, I'll celebrate Passover with you. And then he says, To those under the law, uh, I became as one under the law. He's, he's speaking of Jewish people still, because they 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 followed the Old Testament law. And so Paul said, When I was with Jewish people, those under the law, I, I became as one under the law. And then in, in brackets, though, he says, though not myself being under the law. It's like Paul is saying, make sure you hear this. I'm not under the law. That's not why I did that. I did it so that I could win people who are under the law. And then he says, to those outside the law, so Gentiles, non-Jewish people, I became as uh, one outside the law. uh, Parentheses, parentheses. I'm not going to say that, brackets, (laughs) he says, uh, I'm not outside the law of God. Right? So what he's saying is, when I was with Gentile, it's not like he went and sinned. He'd go, oh yeah, you can commit adultery, and you can lie and cheat and steal. He's no, 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 no. They're not under the law, but I'm still under the law of Christ. Meaning, I'm still pursuing morality. But if a Gentile person said, Paul, come to my house for dinner, we're having pork. He would go, okay, great. Dish it up. Right? He's not under the... The law, or someone said, you know, we're going to do this on the Sabbath, come on over. Paul would go, fine, great, let's do it, right? Because he's not under the law, right? He's under the law of Christ. And then he says, to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. Remember the, the argument in chapter 8, the weaker brothers and sisters who said, I can't eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols for my own conscience, Paul said, okay, for their sake to the weak, I'll become like them. I won't eat meat sacrificed to idols either. And then Paul says, I I become all things to all people that by all means I can save some. That's the motivation. So Paul's not being um, hypocritical. And it's interesting, some scholars say like Paul was kind of hypocritical. You know, I'm going to follow Passover with these people, but not follow it with these people. But he's not being hypocritical. What is he doing? He's contextualizing the gospel so that as many people as possible can hear about Jesus. And he says in verse 23, why does he do it? He does it for the gospel that he can share with new believers in its blessing. The blessing of seeing people saved. He goes, that's way, that's way more important. I want to share in the blessings of the gospel with Jews and Gentiles and heathens and religious people. I'm just going to become all things so that as many people as possible can hear the gospel. So what does that actually like look like practically? I mean, he gave us a few, you know, to the Jews I become a Jew and to the Gentiles I become like Gentiles. But like, is there like a, a concrete example in scripture? And there's actually two that I want to give you. What does it mean to become all things to all people so that some can hear the gospel? Um, we're going to talk about circumcision. I would expect more people to be like, <laughs> uh, In the early church, circumcision was a, a hotly debated topic. It's not anymore. But what you had was, okay, so Jewish people would be saved, and then all of a sudden the gospel uh, was spreading to Gentile people, and in the Jewish faith... Um, the sign of the covenant that you were a, a part of God's people was all males were circumcised on the eighth day. right? God told Abraham, this is going to be the sign that you're going to circumcise all your males on the eighth day. And then you can, um, like you can hear the conflict. So now Jewish people are followers of Jesus, and now Gentiles, uncircumcised people, are coming into the church, and they're going, do they have to be circumcised? Does that law in the Old Testament still count for today? And there was a whole council about what do we do with these uncircumcised Gentiles? And Paul was so adamant, uh, like basically the whole book of Galatians is him saying, no, you don't have to do that anymore. Um, He gives the example of Titus, his uh, traveling companion. In Galatians 2, verses 3 and 5, Paul says this, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. So he's not a Jew, he's a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission for even a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So Paul says there was pressure from the outside for Titus... You're a believer now, you're a Greek, got to get you circumcised. And Paul said, under no circumstances are we doing that. Because you have these false brothers who are just jealous of the freedom that we have in Jesus. And, And Paul says, we did not yield to them. Don't get circumcised. And then you read Acts 16. It says, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew his father was a Greek. You can kind of go, well, wait a second. (laughs) Paul, you're so adamant. Circumcision doesn't save you. You don't have to do it. It's not part of the gospel. Under no circumstances are we going to circumcise Titus and then, Timothy, you want to come with me? Got to circumcise you. Um, it's, it's amazing. There's actually quite a few more liberal scholars who have a real issue with Paul. He's just changing, he's flip flopping, he's changing his mind. He's a hypocrite. That's actually not what's happening here. Notice that. That the reason for circumcising Timothy is not because we want to make sure he's saved. It's we're going to go and evangelize to primarily Jewish people in this season. Timothy, it's going to be a stumbling block. If people know that you're half Jewish and you're not circumcised, we got to get you circumcised. Or else all you're going to be doing is putting up unnecessary barriers. And people are going to hear you preach the gospel and they'll go, well, you're not even a real Jew. So Paul is contextualizing the gospel. He's, he's saying exactly what he's saying in 1 Corinthians 9. We got to remove barriers, become all things to all people so that they can hear the gospel. In Titus's case, we're not going to circumcise you. In Timothy's case, we are. And I, every man's like, man, I hope I'm on the Titus side. But that's, that's, that's what they did. Paul said, okay, I've got to adapt to each circumstance so that so many people can hear the gospel. Um, Jesus did this. This is the other example. Jesus constantly removed barriers so that people could hear the good news. He ate with sinners, with prostitutes. He asked a tax collector to be one of his disciples. Um, the woman at the well is a great example of this. In John 4, Jesus is traveling with his disciples And he's tired and hungry and thirsty, and so he sits by this well, and his disciples go into the town uh, to to find some food, and it says this, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, "Uh, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Right, so there were cultural things in place where um, a Jewish man would not talk to a woman alone. That was a huge no-no. And uh, Jews hated Samaritans. You wouldn't ever be seen having any kind of conversations or dealings with Samaritans. Like the Jews, when they would be from the northern part traveling to Jerusalem, they would go the long way around Samaria so that they didn't have to come into contact with any Samaritans. And so here's Jesus sitting by a well uh, having a conversation with a woman who is a Samaritan. Like breaking all sorts of cultural norms. So so notice, in some cases, Paul bends to the cultural norm because he doesn't want to put up unnecessary barriers. But other times, Jesus says, forget the cultural norm because they need to hear the gospel. But in both cases they're saying we got to remove barriers. We have to remove barriers so people can know about Jesus. What about historically? Right? So we have some biblical examples of people becoming all things to all people so that by all means they can they can save some. But what about culturally? Do we see examples throughout church history and we do, lots. Um, Hudson Taylor is a name that m- some of you might know. Um, he was a missionary in the 1800s to China. Uh, very successful missionary. Um, and in that day and age, in the 1800s, part of what the missionary mandate was is, yes, go teach or like go preach the gospel, but part of the missionary work is we've got to show people how to be civilized. Right? So people would go to... Um, China or India or wherever, these far-flung places, and the thought in that day and age is they're all savages. They're not refined and cultured like we are in Britain. And so part of the missionary work is, yes, preach the gospel, but then also show them how to be civilized. And so uh, it's like a sign of being a Christian that you wear your three-piece suit and you act like a civilized person and not a barbarian. And so Hudson Taylor went to China and he noticed that when he he started his ministry like this, I'm going to wear my three-piece suit and my black overcoat because I'm showing the Chinese people that this is what it means to be civilized. And you know what the, the native people in China called him? Black devil. Because he had his black overcoat on, the civilized approach to missions work. So you know what he did? Hudson Taylor began to, began to dress like the Chinese people. He began to wear their clothing. He would wear their robes. He actually grew a braid in that day and age. The, the, the hairstyle in China was men would shave the top of their foreheads and then they would have a long braid uh, that went down their back. And so Hudson Taylor, from Britain... Shaved the top of his forehead and grew a long braid. He actually learned four dialects in Chinese. He could preach fluently in Mandarin. Do you know what his fellow missionaries and Englishmen called him? They said, Hudson Taylor, you are uncivilized and blasphemous. All because, listen, he broke a stupid dress code to reach people with the gospel. He said, it's not working when we go in our English clothes and we show people that we're so civilized. That's a barrier to the gospel. So I'm gonna wear robes, I'm gonna grow a braid. Do you know that in 51 years of his ministry in China, he baptized 50,000 people? And if you go to China and you ask, most of the 300 million Christians who live there today, almost all of them can trace their spiritual heritage to one man. Hudson Taylor, because he said, enough with these barriers that we put up. Um, Charles Spurgeon is another name that many of you might know. Um, He was a preacher in um, London in the 1800s, and in those days, much like Hudson Taylor, the, the church in London was kind of for the elite, And preachers, by and large, in that part of the world would use language that regular people didn't understand, because we're in church, and it's holy, and thou, thee, thy, whatever, right? And just use big theological words, because this is the holy scriptures, and the average bricklayer or blacksmith was like, I have no idea what you're talking about, And actually, the church was okay with that because we don't want the riffraff in here. This is for the elite. And Charles Spurgeon, at 19 years old, began to preach in plain language. And regular people, by the thousands, came to hear him preach. Miners, there's actually stories that miners would come out of the mines, uh, coal covering their faces because it was Sunday and they wanted to hear Charles Spurgeon preach. And there was a, a, a slang term that, that, they, that began to be tossed around called the miner's tracks. And that these miners would be, have faces black with coal and yet two little tracks on their faces as they just wept as they heard the gospel in plain language. Like, I can understand what he's saying. I can understand what Jesus has done for me. Do, do you know that many, many people hated Charles Spurgeon? Christians, religious people hated him. Um, here's one newspaper article um, talking about Charles Spurgeon, and you almost have to read it like this. His style is that of the vulgar colloquial varied by rant. All the most solemn mysteries of our holy religion are by him crudely roughly and impiously handled. Common sense is outraged, and decency is disgusted. His rantings are interspersed with coarse anecdotes. That's what the newspapers wrote about him. Like a young preacher who said, hey, I'm just going to use like regular language that people use. Well, how dare You are vulgar, sir. And yet, you read about Charles Spurgeon, I mean, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people came to know Jesus. Because again, here's a man who said, this is so dumb what we are doing, that we stand up and think that church is only for the elite, and meanwhile, hundreds of thousands of people in our city are going to hell because they can't hear the gospel, because we have put up unnecessary barriers for them. So what about us today? Um, how does this apply to, to you and me? I really only have like one point of application for us. It's that if we are followers of Jesus, um, we, we have to remove all barriers possible to people hearing the gospel. Um, I'm going to grab the, the whiteboard because sometimes it helps to, I know on the camera. He's like, where'd he go? Um, Sometimes it helps to draw, just to illustrate this, but I think really the the only point of application is for you and me, um, are we putting unnecessary barriers in front of people from from hearing and believing the gospel? Is that good, Harland, right there? Perfect. Um, So if you think about, okay, here's the gospel, here's what Jesus has done for us, And here is your friend, or your neighbor, or your whatever, family member that doesn't know Jesus, and we want them to know Jesus, right? So, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should hope and desire and try to make the path to them hearing and believing the gospel as easy as possible. Now... Not compromising, not saying, oh, it doesn't matter about sin and it doesn't matter about... That's not what I'm saying. Not that. Right? We don't compromise on the truth of the gospel. But we, we, in North America and in Christian circles, we put so many barriers that are unnecessary in front of people hearing and believing the gospel. I'll give you a few. Okay? So we put the barrier of, oh, you have tattoos and piercings. Hmm should you be coming to church make sure you wear a long sleeve maybe take your piercings out and and we put an unnecessary barrier right or um how about what are your politics how did you react to covid who did you vote for would love for you to hear about Jesus, but we got to solve this, like, problem first. What? NDP? Blah! Uh Whatever, right? But we do that. We do that. What are your politics? Instead of, like, have you heard about uh, Jesus? Have you heard about... And you can just go on and on. The clothing that you wear. Um, the things that you do. We just put so many unnecessary um, barriers in front of... Um, People coming to know Jesus. So I'll give you a, a story. When I was 16 years old, um, I got my ears pierced uh, because I was a skateboarder and pierced ears are cool. And um, my kids still make fun of me. I can see your piercing holes. I'm like, nah, okay, maybe it was a mistake. But uh, at, 16 year old, at 16 years old, I loved Jesus and I got my ears pierced. I remember my dad was candidating at a church and... Um, Uh, You send, like, a picture of your family, usually when you hand in a resume and you candidate, and then he had an interview with the elders board, and uh, in the picture, there's Andrew, his 16-year-old son with pierced ears, and one of the board members asked, so how long has your son been living in rebellion? (laughs) For real. And my dad was like, well, first of all, I'm not coming to this church anymore. (laughs) But right? Your son surely cannot be a follower of Jesus, if he has his ears pierced. And my dad was like, what on earth does that have to do with following Jesus? But we, but we do that, right? Our, our job is to like, okay, let's remove barriers that actually aren't in the Bible. Let's remove them so that we're not blocking people from hearing the, the gospel, I mean I mean I'll tell you cuz people will go, "Well, I don't know, people are going to talk." And yeah, sure they will. Let them talk. Right? I you I hear stuff all well, your pastor has tattoos. Your pastor doesn't wear like a tie on Sunday? Uh just recently, I am the chaplain for the RCMP and so I got to go and um uh for the opening of the new building and pray, they asked, Would you come and pray for all the officers? And I said, Yeah, absolutely. And I showed up and I met the person who was organizing um, all, the whole day. Uh, and so then we're getting in line for how we walk out. And she said, Okay, that person's there. Um, Elder May from the uh, First Nations Doi Group. Okay, you're there. And then where's the chaplain? Who's the chaplain? And I raised my hand and she was like, Oh, I thought you'd be better dressed. <laughs> So I was like, I think I look okay. But here's, here's the thing, right? Um, the expectation of like, well, if you're a clergy, you should be wearing a suit and tie. And I specifically don't. Because it's not, it's not real. And I don't want people to look at that and go, oh, I guess to go to his church, I have to go buy a suit. No! And actually, one of the, the officers, who I don't know if he's a believer or not, he kind of said to me, it's actually like way more natural this way. I said, thank you. (laughs) But we do, right? We have all of these expectations and and ideas of what it should mean to be a a Christian or for people to be serious about it when you should just, like Jesus did, let's remove unnecessary barriers so that they hear the gospel. Um, Being, becoming a Christian um, really only is um, faith and repentance. Becoming a Christian is faith that Jesus is who he says he is. I believe that by faith, that he lived, died, rose from the dead. I am believing in that. And repentance, the word really just means changing your mind. It's you were going this way and you're going, no, I'm changing my mind. I'm following Jesus now. But do you know what well-meaning Christians add to faith and repentance? Obedience. In order for you to become a Christian, you have to obey. No, you don't. Obedience comes after the cross. And yet, I hear this all the time. Well, if they were really serious about coming to Jesus, they would obey the Bible. Why? Get them here first and then say, okay, now let's work on obedience to Jesus, but that's not a prerequisite to becoming a Christian. I, I've had people all the time come up to me, okay, I'm interested in Jesus, but do I really have to believe that the earth is 6,000 years old? And I said, you know what? That's, that's a moot point right now. Who is Jesus? Answer that We'll deal with the other stuff. Hey, Andrew, I want to be a Christian, but I smoke cigarettes. Do I have to clean my life up first before I become a Christian? No. We'll deal with all that stuff after. But the only question is, who is Jesus? Faith in him and repentance and then obedience flows out of a changed life. It's not a prerequisite to become a believer. So for you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, um, we we must remove all, um, all barriers that we can, and uh, we need to repent of unnecessary barriers that we put up in front of people that actually hinder them from hearing the gospel and believing. and And listen, our series is called Messy Church, and it is messy to actually live like this because. If we're honest, we want people to clean their lives up first and then we'll welcome them in because it's just way easier that way. It's, it's messy. So I need to speak to two groups of people. If you're in this r- room and you're not a believer yet, um, you may have been hurt by Christians or by churches who have said, if you, in order for you to believe and have salvation, you must jump through all of these hoops and do all of these things Um, you you might have been preached a a message that's actually not the gospel. (laughs) And so you need to hear, yes, obedience matters. Yes, righteousness matters. But all that it takes to become a follower of Jesus is to believe by faith, to say, yes, Jesus is who he says he is. And so... We don't, I don't know if it's this church or any of us here, but we just ask for your forgiveness if we've put unnecessary barriers up. And then for believers, if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, what if we were like Paul? What if we just said, you know what, we're going to remove all barriers possible so that as many people as possible can come to know Jesus? Let's start here. Let's just begin with his life, death, and resurrection. Like what if our, our attitude as believers, as North Peace Church would be, you know what, we want to become all things to all people so that by all means we might save some of the 23,000 that live in Fort St. John. That we're going to just remove all unnecessary barriers and let other Christians talk and slander. We don't care. What matters is the lost. So my, my hope is that that is the, the type of Believers that we would be, that we would go, man, I just want to do anything possible so that my neighbors, so that my family members, so that my coworkers, that my school friends, they hear the message of the gospel and believe. And then we walk through and we disciple them in obedience to Jesus. So, Father, I just thank you um, that the gospel really is um, quite simple. That becoming a follower of you uh, simply means believing by faith that you are who you say you are and that you accomplished what you said you would do. It's looking back at the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and believing by faith that it's true and then choosing in repentance to, to change our minds and to follow you. God, thank you for just how simple that is. And God, would you forgive us when we put up unnecessary barriers to people hearing the gospel, whether it's, you know, the clothing that we expect or tattoos or piercings or politics or whatever it is, God, we just put up all of these barriers that actually make it harder for people to hear the gospel. Would you forgive us? Help us not to compromise on the truth of the gospel But help us to be like Paul where we go, we want to become all things to all people so that as many people as possible can hear the gospel. That we would say on our part, we were faithful to remove barriers and to present the gospel to as many people as we could. God, you're the one who saves them, but our job, would we just be faithful in giving people the gospel? God, I pray for those in this room who who maybe are new to church or maybe even not even believers just wondering and God I know because I experience it all the time they may have been preached a message that's actually not the gospel it's a message of clean your life up and then Christ will accept you so God I pray that that lie would just not stay in their minds that they would hear that that all it is is saying yes I believe by faith in Christ what he's done for me who He is, and that then we can disciple people after the fact to obey you, Jesus. Um, God, we just ask for a mighty move of the Spirit in our town. Jesus, that many, 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 many people would come to know you. Thank you that that weight of their salvation doesn't rest on us. We're not the Savior. But what rests on us is the faithfulness to just preach the gospel and remove as many barriers barriers as we can. So would we do that, God, as a church, as families, as employees, as students, whatever it is, God, that we would remove barriers so people can hear the gospel and believe. And we just trust you for the harvest that we will see And so we just pray all of this in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen.